In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending March the 18th, well, back on Wednesday, the U.S. Senate voted down an effort by U.S. Senator Pat Roberts to prohibit states from requiring genetically modified food labels through a bill that was designed to create a USDA voluntary labeling standard for genetically modified products. And while most of us are familiar with the acronym GMOs, the bill actually referred to them as bioengineered food. But despite what happened, Rod Bain reports that efforts continue by Senate leaders to resolve the issue of GMO food labeling after that amendment failed the procedural vote. A vote on the floor of the Senate Wednesday on a genetically modified foods labeling amendment. On this vote, the yeas are 48, the nays are 49. Failing to reach the 60 yes votes needed to invoke cloture on the measure. The amendment supported by Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas was designed to create a voluntary nationwide GMO food labeling system. Simply put, the legislation before us provides us an immediate and comprehensive solution to the unworkable state-by-state patchwork labeling laws. However, senators like Debbie Stabenow of Michigan felt the amendment, as written, did not make consumer information on ingredients easily accessible. The national disclosure system needs to provide real options for disclosing information about GMOs that work for both consumers and food companies. A procedural move by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell means the bill could be brought back to the floor at some time for a vote. In the meantime, senators will continue to work on a resolution. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. In other news, many in agriculture continue efforts to get Congress to pass the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, and that includes the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, as their interim CEO, Kendall Frazier, said TPP is very important to the beef industry. What it will do is lower tariffs for American beef in the Japanese market and make us more competitive with the Australians. Congress has to pass that legislation, that trade agreement, so we're going to be pushing hard in Congress to get that done. Frazier explains how TPP can help U.S. cattle producers when it comes to trading with Japan. Exports are about 10 to 12 percent of U.S. beef production, and that has grown over the last 30 years. And it's very important to cattlemen, the export markets today, it's about a worth, the export markets are worth over $300 per head to the price of fed cattle. Japan is one of our biggest markets for U.S. beef. Right now, we have tariffs in place in Japan that make us not competitive with the Australians. The Australians just signed a new free trade agreement with Japan where tariffs on Australian beef are going to decline. And we are going to get less and less competitive in that market. The trade agreement will lower those tariffs for U.S. beef in Japan. And that's why we are supporting it. And this is a case where we're working very closely with the administration on this. The administration obviously negotiated the trade uh, agreement. And uh, we're working very closely with the U.S. Trade Representative and others in the administration to get this passed by Congress. Uh, The president got authority from Congress to go negotiate the agreement. Now he's brought that back to Congress, and hopefully in 2016 we can get this passed. In other news, when it comes to planting peanuts this spring, Tyron Spearman reports there are many factors to consider as to how many acres farmers may want to put in. Peanut farmers are trying to decide exactly how many acres to plant this coming year, depending on the program and the availability of seed and warehouse availability. These are some of the factors that they're having to consider. Also to be considered is the production of peanuts around the world with their competition. Right now, Argentina is in the startup of their harvest season, 
They said this week the peanut crop is in good condition with plant development between R4 and R5. That's almost fully matured, but have not started digging as of yet. In the main production area of uh, Cordoba province, plant development is doing well, and they said they will have about 320,000 hectares, and that is down slightly from last year's 342,000 hectares. Production is about to be a million tons. Last year they had 1.1 million tons, so they're down slightly from this past year. Another major competitor is China, the world's largest producer of peanuts. The Chinese peanut trade said this week they're putting many customers on a wait-and-see attitude to see how the crop is going to do. Attitude in the market situation is to remain calm. In the case of demand, it does not support peanut prices to increase. Space will be subject to many restrictions. The uh, domestic peanut market in China is expected to be dominated, they said, by flat or slightly choppy. Another one that's being harvested right now is Brazil. Harvesting of peanuts in Brazil's San Pablo state is in full swing, and overall production in the state is expected to be about 372,000 tons. That's a 23.9% increase over last year. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, here's Nathan Wilson. For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, Janine Taylor of Studio Apiaries discusses their operation and how they utilize Georgia Grown to develop their marketing program. We use our honeybees not only to place in local areas to produce local raw honey, but we also rent our honeybees to local farmers who help with the pollination for their crop. We are now lucky enough to be a member of Georgia Grown, and we actually use their logo on our label that is now on our duty or honey pot honey. Janine talks about new products that are being made from their locally produced honey and are available at Studier's Honey Pot. Not only do we produce the honey, but we're starting to develop soaps and body butters and things like that for men and women that we are including our raw honey in. Good for your skin. As long as it's pure and raw, you never want to purchase the wrong kind of honey. For more information about these sweet Georgia-grown products, visit them online at www.studiershoneypot.com. This is Nathan Wilson reminding you that if it's not local, it's not Georgia-grown. Kathy Isom tells us how maple syrup is being used in modern medicine. Scientists appear to have made a sweet discovery when it comes to possibly finding the cure for Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is a progressive, neurodegenerative disease that impairs daily functioning through gradual loss of memory. Researchers gathering for the annual meeting of the American Chemical Society in San Diego, California, shared promising results of several studies exploring the beneficial effects of natural products on the prevention of neurodegenerative diseases, particularly Alzheimer's. For the first time at this symposium, pure maple syrup was included among the healthful, functional foods that show promise in protecting brain cells against the kind of damage found in Alzheimer's disease. One study found that pure maple syrup extract may prevent the clumping and misfolding of brain cell proteins, which build up and cause plaques that trigger the devastating disease. Researchers plan to study whether a maple syrup extract can be effective as a cure for degenerative brain disease. Other natural food products, such as green tea, red wine, berries, and pomegranates, continue to be studied for their potential benefits in combating Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's remains the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S. According to the Alzheimer's Association, every 67 seconds, someone in this land of ours develops the disease. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Everett Grinder talks about an attempt to grow a coffee crop here in the U.S. I recently read where a couple of venturesome young farmers are growing an experimental crop that could change a lot of things about American agriculture. 
They're Californians, uh, as you might expect, and their experimental crop is coffee. Although Americans uh, consume more coffee than any other country, our coffee has always been imported, mostly from Central and South America. Now, these daring young California farmers just might be about to cause a new change in American agriculture. I do know it'll be more than one crop year before they prove successful in this effort. This may be the last we hear of it, or it could be a bold new movement in farming. There's really no reason that can be offered that we can't grow coffee in America. So now, we'll see. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Grinder, Southeast Agnet. You can hear those reports and more from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.